Now you can turn to your Bibles again, if you would like to follow, to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. That's where we'll spend our time. Now, in many churches, and many of you know this, some of you have uh, been members of other churches or you visited other churches when you were looking for a place to join up and worship. And many uh, churches in our country today struggle with the question of what really constitutes appropriate worship. Now, some people don't really care one way or the other, Uh, They have their own definition of worship, but uh, I think it's a good idea for us to get our definition of what true worship is out of God's word. So that's what we're going to uh, look at today. Uh, Some people uh, want something that they consider uh, or defined as contemporary worship. Other ones desire to have what they call more traditional worship worship service. Uh, Some churches I have driven past already uh, that I see that they want to cover everybody, so they have a contemporary service at maybe 9 o'clock and then a traditional service at 10 o'clock. So everybody has their own idea of uh, worship and how things should be Uh, Conducted. So, just with the idea of contemporary and traditional form of worship. Here's a question for you. I don't expect you to answer it. We'll dive into that a little bit more as we get into the message. But, which one's right? Who is right? Who is right here? Um, Can uh, anyone just serve the Lord God any way that they want to. Things to think about. And we'll see as we go through this study how God answers that uh, question. Uh, I think there is a growing trend that thinks that just any form of worship is acceptable to God. Uh, Some people uh, come across like any type of music is worthy to present uh, to the Lord. Uh, some some people um, think that, um, and I've seen this happen, and I, I don't completely understand it myself, but some people that have been involved with what is considered to be heavy metal music don't ask me to define it, I can't, but now they actually have uh, groups of uh, men and women who have received Christ as their Savior, but they were involved with heavy metal before they got saved, and now they've decided, well, we'll just take that same music and we'll put a couple words to it uh, that uh, are supposed to honor God, And uh, we'll use heavy metal in our uh, churches, and we'll put out CDs and recordings about that. You say, well, I don't believe that. You you don't believe it? Well, go on the Internet, you know, just Google it, and you'll find out that that's what's going on. So I think there is music that honors God. There's music that doesn't honor God. There's a right way to worship, and there's a wrong way to worship. 
And I think we get the answer from uh, God's word in in that sense. Um, I believe there's a big difference between attending church and coming to worship. There's a big difference. And that's what we want to look at today, too. Now, we already read Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 through 7. Let's go back now and go through those verses kind of... uh, uh, one at a time here to get our uh, example of what God expects from us. Uh, in in uh, chapter 5, verse 1, the first point I think that stands out to me is this. Draw near and listen well. Draw near. Well, who are you drawing near to? You're drawing near to God. Draw near and listen well. Now, let's get a little background from this book of Ecclesiastes and Solomon, who wrote this book. Remember, he was a king, a very powerful king, very wise king. Later on in years, uh, he did some stupid things and got away from the Lord. And I'd say one of the most stupid things that he did was having all those wives. And I'm not talking about two or three. And along with concubines, that doesn't make any sense at all. So in the days of Solomon, the house of God, which is referred to, uh, would have been the temple in Jerusalem. But um, what he has to say uh, applies to the place that we have set aside to worship in 2018. Now, we know that the church is not this building. The church I'm looking at, that's you, born-again believers. That's the church. Something else to remember as we go through this study. Back in the Old Testament times when uh, King Solomon wrote this book, uh, the Holy Spirit would come upon certain people for service. The Holy Spirit not only would come upon certain people for service, but the Holy Spirit also could leave. Now, in this day and age, when you become a child of God, the first thing that happens to you is you receive the Holy Spirit of God, which is not a force, it's a person. Now, I say, now, can you explain that further to me? No, you just have to accept by faith the Bible tells us That when we're born again, we receive the new nature, we receive the Holy Spirit of God. So that makes us really what? The temple of God. The scripture even tells us your body is the temple of God. So therefore we should be, uh, can we say, um, very aware of that at all times. That this is the temple of God. Now back to our um, uh, lesson here. So back in those days, uh, the house of God was the temple in Jerusalem. And uh, the temple reminded one the way it was built, the way the services were to be conducted. The temple reminded one of God's Holiness. God is holy. Doesn't the Bible also tell us in the New Testament, be ye holy 
as I am holy. Now, you won't reach that state of perfection, this side of being glorified when you get to heaven and the devil isn't around anymore to whisper in your ear and make you do things that we shouldn't do. But yet we should be striving to be more like what? More like Christ, who is our Savior. So the temple reminded uh, people back then of God's holiness. In that time, he, referring to God, was accessible only by sacrifice through a priestly mediator. They had Levitical priests that did these duties. And he would come to the, to the temple and, um, he would make a offering, a offering of, uh, on, on the altar. Fire would consume it. And he was to do this correctly and in, in a specific order. I believe God is a God of order. Uh, we do not, uh, come anymore and make sacrifice on altars. Why is that? Because Christ made one sacrifice forever and all, and he's done, and he now sits at the right hand of God the Father making intercession for us. Amen? He is our high priest. He's the perfect high priest. So uh, let's just look at a couple of scriptures to show you that there was order involved when they were serving, these priests were serving in the temple. Let's first of all look back to the, the book of Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 10, uh, and we want to look at verse 10. This just gives you an idea of the specific uh, duties and how they were to perform certain things. So in Leviticus chapter 10, beginning at verse 10, it says, and that ye may put difference, difference between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean, and that ye may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. And Moses spake unto Aaron, who happened to be the high priest, and unto Eleazar, and unto Ithamar, his sons that were left, Take the meat offering that remaineth of the offerings of the Lord made by fire and eat it without leaven beside the altar, for it is most what? Holy. And ye shall eat it in the holy place because it is thy due and thy son's due of the sacrifices of the Lord made by fire, for so I am commanded. Now, uh, I've just read that to you so you would understand that everything was supposed to be done decently in order. Uh, you probably say, boy, they must not have paid the priest too much money back there because actually they had to eat part of the offering uh, that was sacrificed to the Lord. No, that's the way the Lord had it set up. That was how they were taken care of after they sacrificed uh, this lamb or whatever it is, this animal to the Lord specific way to do it, a correct way and a wrong way to do it, a holy way and an unholy way to do it. Let's look at one other one. In Leviticus chapter 15, Leviticus chapter 15, let's just look at one verse, verse number 31. 
Thus shall ye separate the children of Israel from their uncleanness, that they die not in their uncleanness when they defile my temple that is among them. Order. Making sure that we did things, that they did things in a proper way, in an orderly way. One other reference, and then we'll be done with this, just to give you an idea of the order and how it was done back in those days. First Samuel chapter 6. Let's look at that, please. First Samuel chapter 6, and I want you to look at verse number 19. Remember that uh, the ark at one time was stolen from the children of Israel by the Philistines. And in 1 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 19 it says, And he smote the men of Beth Shemeth, because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. Even he smote of the people fifty thousand and threescore and ten men. And the people lamented because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Bathsheba said, Who is able to stand before the, before this what? Holy Lord God. And to whom shall he go up from us? And they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjath Jerem, saying, The Philistines have brought again the ark of the Lord. Come ye down and fetch it up. To you. Now remember what happened? They stole this particular piece of furniture out of the temple, and you see what happened when they were using it in a disrespectful way, or in a way that they should not even have touched it or looked at it. There was one or two men, <laughs> a lot more than that, that ended up dead. And boy, did they get an idea, whoo, maybe we ought to send this back to where it belongs. And that's exactly what they did. So you get this idea of God back then just as he does now. He expects us to draw near to him and to listen. And listen only to the preacher in this day and age as he presents what to you? God's holy word. There it is. So that's one of the first steps as far as Worship is concerned. Um, according uh, the writings of Solomon, I, I believe he noted that many of the worshipers coming to the temple were insincere. They were not sincere in their worship. Uh, and uh, they left the temple in worse condition than when they came because their attitudes were wrong. They didn't come with the right kind of attitude of worship. Uh, you might say, well, what was their sin? Well, any of us who have studied the children of Israel through the Old Testament know that many times their sin was insincere and hypocritical worship. And that can happen to us today, too. Insincere and hypocritical worship. Uh, people who do go to church sometimes find it hard to pay attention because their minds are wandering. Uh, they listen with half an ear. <laughs> it seems kind of strange, but let's face it. In this day and age in which we live, there's a lot of things going on that keeps our minds busy. Some of you are business people. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. And probably one of the hardest things that you have to do when you come here to worship God is to try to put aside all those things that you have to carry all week long concerning your business and get into the frame of worshiping and listening to what the Lord has to say. Amen? That can happen, can it? To all of us, that can happen. Uh, people can be full of uh, good intentions about serving God, but they have trouble following through after they hear what God has instructed them to do uh, for him. Um, so how can we change that problem? How can we draw near and listen well? Couple couple things to look at. First of all, we have to, I think, come to, to worship God with prepared hearts. Do you realize uh, one of the reasons that we sing, how many songs do we sing? Sometimes three, if we have a chorus at the beginning, or we sing hymns before we have the message. Why do we do that? I think, if it's done in a proper way, it helps prepare our hearts for the time set aside for us to hear the word of God. It prepares our hearts in that sense. So that's one way that we prepare our hearts. Um, Someone did a study that determined uh, there are perhaps uh, more arguments and more headaches on the way to church than anywhere else. You say, well, why is that? Well, because Satan would rather have you Come to church uh, uh, angry and thinking about other things than concentrating on the Lord Jesus and worshiping him. (laughs) Some of you have kids. God bless you. I pray for you. Because uh, uh, especially if you have more than one. Takes a little time to get them together. And then nowadays you got to make sure they're in those uh, government-approved seats that you got to put them in when you're driving your vehicle. Uh, so that takes some time, time too. And, and, and of course, uh, uh, we know that children have a tendency to distract you when you are driving to church and you're trying to get your heart in the mood for worship. I remember when I was involved with the bus ministry, Oh, you talk about an interesting ministry. That's an interesting ministry. And one of the ways that we tried to prepare even the kids' hearts uh, when we uh, picked them up on a bus, and uh, I think Caleb was also involved with bus or van ministry uh, earlier in his life, what we would do to prepare him for that in many ways is somebody on the bus would stand up and lead them in some courses that would direct their minds toward the Lord Jesus and toward their worship service when they got to church also. So uh, one of the things we need to do is have a a prepared heart even before we get to the worship service. Uh, After all, Satan wants you to arrive uh, with a heart that's not ready to receive the word of God. And if your mind's busy with everything else, you're not ready, are you? 
That's the way it goes. Um, I believe that worship doesn't just happen spontaneously. I think even worship, we have to prepare ourselves for worship when it comes to gathering together as a church of believers. Um, Now you say, well, can you expand on that a little bit more? I'd be happy to. In fact, I figured you might ask that question, and I have it in my notes. Um, What do you expect when you come to a worship service? Now, we don't have a choir at the present time. I'm hoping someday again we will. But what you expect when you come is you expect that the choir has prepared. We, When we had a choir, we would set aside times before, sometimes after church, they would practice, they would get ready. When uh, Mary Ann and I sing together, when Dave and I sing together, or anybody else sings, or Dave plays the trumpet, or he plays the violin, uh, we would expect that those people prepared ahead of time before they presented that to you. They want to do their best uh, for you, yes, but also for who else? For the Lord. So you expect that choir. You expect the person who plays the piano. If you ever get here real, real early on any given service time, you will hear that young, beautiful woman right there sitting at that piano and going over all of the songs that we will be singing in the church service, in the worship service that day. Why? Well, she wants to make sure that she's prepared and she's uh, ready to worship the Lord. Uh, you also expect that the preacher didn't throw together a sermon three minutes after he kicked the furnace to get it started. You would hope that he has prepared a sermon and uh, the Lord has laid it on his heart a specific uh, thing to deal with on this particular day. You would expect that, wouldn't you? So, should we not expect to come to God and prepare our hearts as we gather together to worship him? I think that's a good thing to do. Also, be ready to listen. Be ready to listen. Now, uh, I don't know that we have this problem here to any great extent, but let me tell you one thing that drives a preacher. I didn't say this preacher, but I'm included in the a preacher crazy, is when you have people that are sitting in a worship service, and instead of listening, they're doing this. To one another. That's very hard for people around you to listen to. Now, sometimes you do have to let the person next to you know something in the middle of a service. For example, uh, brother, I just want you to know your seat's on fire. I don't think that that's inappropriate. That's something that's all right to deal with, okay? But I think it's important for us to be ready to listen. Ready to listen. Solomon is saying, when we gather as the people of God, 
We should be expectant. You should come expecting a blessing from the Lord. Now, sometimes you don't come with steel tip shoes. And sometimes the message makes you curl your toes up in your shoes because uh, certain things that God used in that message remind you of something that you need to listen to and correct. Amen? That's happened to all of us. That's happened to all of us. So, um, uh, we should come expectant. Uh, we should come knowing that there's a possibility we might be able to learn something. I, I had a, a individual, this goes back quite a few years, I'm not going to tell you this. it was this church or another church, because I've been involved with other churches, that uh, uh, he told one of the deacons at the church, he says, uh, uh, basically, these weren't the exact words, uh, uh, I just come to listen to everything because I know I'm right, and I just want to confirm that. In other words, he already knew everything. He'd just come in to make sure that uh, that the preacher had it right and uh, and just to confirm that he was that brilliant. So uh, be ready to listen. Um, uh, in other words, uh, be ready to hear. <laughs> uh, it means be ready to obey God's word. Listen, hear, and obey God's word. Uh, be ready to listen. Be ready to worship correctly. Uh, Solomon is, is describing people in the temple, people that have so little understanding of who God is and what it means to worship that they do not understand what it means to worship. They do not even recognize that they are doing evil. They don't recognize they're doing anything wrong. Some of that is because they're not listening. They're not, they're not hearing. Uh, another thing here, uh, he mentioned this. Don't give the offering of fools. Offering of fools. Now, what, what's that mean? You know, does that mean there's a certain way for me to put the money in the plate or the envelope? I mean, what's that all about? No. Uh, uh, well, we have examples of this offering of fools that uh, taught to us in the scripture. Uh, let me give you a couple of examples of this idea of offering of fools. Uh, here's one for you. How about the uh, uh, sons of the first high priest, Aaron? What were their names? Nadab and Abihu. You talk about giving uh, uh, offering of fools. They had many jobs. They were Levitical uh, priests. They had many jobs in, in the tabernacle. And one of those jobs uh, was to offer incense to God at the altar of incense in the tabernacle. That was before they had the temple. Um, now, God's word, listen to this. God's word was very explicit on how. They should offer that incense. Uh, but these boys couldn't be bothered with details. You, you know what I mean, men. You, you got your uh, son or daughter, new bicycle. 
You open up the box, there's the instructions. That's the last time you saw them. I can put this thing together. I don't need them instructions. And you started to put that bike together. I know it never happened to anybody but me. And ended up with a couple of things left over. Hmm, maybe I ought to dig out them instructions and find out where I goofed there, you know. But these boys, they, they weren't, they didn't want to be bothered with details. Uh, they didn't think it mattered how they did what they did in the presence of God. I don't know if you remember the story. But they thought that they could improve on things of God. They had a better idea than the instructions God gave specifically. But they were wrong. You don't have to turn to it, but Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 2 tells us, Fire came down from the presence of the Lord and consumed them before the Lord. Hmm. Does it matter how we worship and how we present ourselves before God to worship before him? I think it does. Uh, and to tell you the truth, I am very thankful that God is long-suffering, uh, and I think he's always been long-suffering, but I am so glad that God is long-suffering and he doesn't consume people with fire all the time in this day and age like he did back there for uh, these two uh, boys. There'd be a lot of empty church buildings. I think we should be concerned how we gather together to worship. Now, do understand this. I believe that it was so harsh, this punishment for these two boys. Let me tell you why. They were in a position of leadership. The congregation was looking to them for leadership. Uh, sometimes, I guess, you know, I don't think we have any here, but somebody might walk into church one day and think, boy, I think I could do a better job than the preacher. Now, they never sell you that, and if they did, I might have them uh, uh, put a study together and then preach it to me and see if they would be able to stand up here and take care of it. Because, you know, there's a lot of responsibility that goes with the call to the ministry, uh, first of all, when you get called, uh, when you get called, then that means you need to prepare for the ministry. Uh, you're constantly learning, constantly growing by learning more about God's word. And you have to give, as a pastor, I have to give someday an account of how I took care of God's sheep. They're not mine, they're his. Would you like that responsibility? Someday I will have to, I believe. Well, they thought they could improve on things of God. They couldn't, and they paid for it. 
Nadab and Abihu offered the sacrifice of fools. They did what was wrong and they died. Then there's another story of King Uzziah. Some of you might remember this. King Uzziah started out as a fairly righteous king, if we can use those words. Uh, But as time went on, and he became more powerful and successful, he decided that he was important enough that he didn't even need the Levitical priest to do the worship service for him. That's how important he thought he was. So he decided he had the right to go into the temple and offer incense at the incense altar. Boy, you talk about a fool. He thought he could improve on the things that God had commanded. Guess what? He was wrong. Second uh, Kings 15.5 says, The Lord afflicted the king with leprosy until the day he died. Uzziah offered the sacrifice of fools. He did what was wrong. And he went to his grave, stricken with leprosy. One more story. King Manasseh. King Manasseh didn't even start out right. Almost from the beginning of his reign, he did all kinds of bad things. One of the things he does was to rearrange the furniture in the temple. God gave very specific instructions how to do it. Ah, He knew better than God. He was going to rearrange it. Uh, He took the altar of sacrifice and he replaced it with a pagan altar. Uh, And possibly worst of all, He offered up his own son as a burnt offering to one of the pagan gods. You say, well, that's horrible. Did you check the count of how many abortions were allowed in the United States of America going back to when it was made legal? That's horrible, too. Manasseh had offered the sacrifice of fools. He did what was wrong. And you know what it also did? Not only hurt him, but it hurt his nation. He had led his nation into a false worship, and there was no way of pulling them back out of this heresy that he had taught them. And this evil ultimately destroyed a nation. The United States of America is not getting away with anything. One day, one day, accounts will be given. Uh, Now, number two in our outline, in this getting ready for worship, 
This, I think, stands out in chapter 5, verses 2 and 3 and verse 7. Be quiet and stay calm. Now, there's nothing wrong with the amen and the hallelujah. That's fine. But some services you go to, whoo, you don't know what to listen to. Just so much noise and racket. Uh, verse 2 and 3, I think, brings out the fact that don't use careless praying. You know, now, uh, I know many other people have mentioned this to me, too. When my dad was living, and I, I noticed it with my dad, too, when he prayed, he just seemed like he was right there in the throne with God, just the way he prayed. And that's not building him up, but he just had a way of praying that made you stop, pay attention, and listen to his prayer. So we need to be even careful not to have careless praying. Sometimes, you know, uh, when praying, you kind of have to be aware of hasty words and too many words. What did Jesus say about prayer? Look very quickly here. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, if you would please. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 7, Jesus says, But when ye pray, use not vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. And then look also what he said in Luke uh, chapter 18. Many of you remember this. In Luke chapter 18, and we're going to look at verse number 10. Luke 18 and verse 10. And it says... Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithe of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven and smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Number three. This is found in chapter 5, verses 4 through 6. If you make a commitment, keep it. Uh, We have faith promise here. And I always tell everybody, before you decide... What the Lord would have you to give this year through faith promise, pray about it, ask the Lord for sure that this is what he wants you to give, and he will supply that need. Then keep that vow between you and the Lord. This past year, it has been one of the best of uh, uh giving years so far for missions. Uh, Faith promise went up this year over the last couple of years. And I say amen to that. That's great. Why? God's working on hearts of believers. Amen. That's the thing that's so important. Uh, So if you make a commitment, keep it. Solomon said in this passage, don't be too quick to make a foolish vow. 
So be careful when you make a vow uh, to God. Uh, here's one that people nowadays ought to remember uh, when you're married. If you did it right, you know what you did? You took a vow between each other. Don't break that vow. Don't break that vow. Uh, when you testify in court, you place your hand on the Bible and vow to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help what? It'll help you, God. Making a vow is not the issue. It's making vows that you have in, in uh, no intention of keeping. That's the issue. You make a vow, keep it. Now, understand, there are times that vows are broken. I understand that. And uh, uh, there is divorce and there is remarriage. I understand that. And God, you know, uh, uh, getting divorced is not an unforgivable sin. But then if you do get uh, married again, practice real hard to keep the vow. And don't end up again not keeping the vow. No, we understand that too. So we need to make a vow and then keep a vow. Let's look at two references. Back to Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs 20. I'll tell you what, let's start with Psalm 76 first. Psalm 76, 11. It says... Vow and pay unto the Lord your God. Let all that be round about him bring presents unto him that ought to be feared. And then Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 25. Proverbs 20 and 25. It is a snare to the man who devoureth that which is holy and after vows to make. Inquiry. Um, and uh, so remember, very important, you make a vow, keep your vow. Keep your vow. You know what you're doing when you don't keep your vow? Especially when it's between you and God? You're lying to God. You know, when God makes you a promise... And I guess in a sense that could be a vow. When God makes a promise, uh, Brother uh, uh, Troy Manning in his uh, uh, study on Wednesday night, I said, when God makes a promise, guess what? He keeps his promise. When you make a vow to God or even to anyone else, you know what you need to do? Keep it. Keep it. We have the example. God makes a promise. He keeps his promise. That's what we need to do. It seems like a lot of people find that it's easier to make a promise. It's not so easy to keep it. So make sure when you make it that you keep it. Now let's wrap this up. The final words of verse 7 is a reminder of something very important when we think about worship or anything else that involves God. It's a reminder to Fear God. Now, part of it probably is a little bit of shaking in fear, but I think a lot of it has more to do with reverence 
to God. How we come to present ourselves a living sacrifice to him, even when we gather in a building like this that God has given us to worship him. Come with reverence. Come with fear. We need to be reminded from time to time about what happened to the two sons of Aaron who thought they knew more than God did when it came to worship and how to honor him. C.S. Lewis wrote many books. Uh, I would recommend any of them that come to mind. We, I think uh, uh, Caleb and I both had to do some reading from C.S. Lewis when we were in college. I know I did. Uh, but C.S. Lewis wrote a classic. It was entitled The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mary Ann used to use that in her class teaching of second grade. And in that story, the children are told that they are to meet Aslan the lion, who is actually a symbol of Christ. And one little girl, Susan, replies, Ooh, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting the lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beavers. If there's anyone who can appear before Aston without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most uh, uh, or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mrs. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. You get the picture? Fearing God. But knowing this too. He's good. And we should keep things in our mind all the time to try to please him with all of our hearts. And especially when we gather together to worship him. It can make all the difference in the world. Let's pray.